unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back, copywriters, to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and uh, I'm excited about today's show. I'm always excited about these shows. This is like the highlight of my week, so before we even start, I just want to let you know how much this means to me that we're able to get together each week and do these. And uh, I know that we got an awesome podcast for the listeners today, so um, I'm just going to stop rambling and let you take over. Well, thank you. So I want to tell you, I was doing a critique for a client who had, um, so I, I always keep this stuff confidential, so I'm going to be purposely vague, but he had an, an offer online where you really needed to have some wild, believable clickbait kind of hooks, right? And he said at the beginning of the critique that if he got, you know, one or two ideas out of this, he would consider his money well spent. And not to brag, but, you know, about halfway through, he said, you've already given me 20 ideas I can use. And this is just something I'm very good at. Um, uh, One of our friends, Mandy Mark Steiner, Mandy Audette Mark Steiner, is going to be interviewing me for her podcast. And uh, she was kind enough to send me questions in advance. And one of them she asked is, I noticed in reading your testimonials that your clients are impressed with how fast you come up with ideas. And then she had two testimonials, one from Fran Rangel, CEO of Enrich Marketing. Uh, David also has this ridiculous talent for coming up with copy like effortlessly. It would take me at least 30 minutes to come up with what he comes up with in 30 seconds. And Doberman Dan says, after weeks of struggling to find the perfect lead for a promotion I was working on, David nailed it in only 37 seconds flat. Now, people are probably going to get the idea that everything happens between 30 and 40 seconds. It's just a coincidence. But <laughs> And if, before you start thinking this is going to be an infomercial for my copy critiques, it's not. I just wanted to give that example to let you know I know what I'm talking about. I I can really do this myself, and I'm going to do my best to share it with you. Where did all this come from? Well, I actually eat my own cooking, meaning I teach certain stuff, and I do it myself. And today I'm going to share some of those recipes with you. So before we get started on monster creativity, let me give you this reminder. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in the highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Can I ask you a question real quick? Of course. Something that I run into with my clients a lot um, is the notion or the belief that they're just not creative. It is, do you have like a magical creativity superpower that maybe what we're going to talk about just won't apply to some people? Possibly. 
but I don't think so because I used to think I was not creative too. I mean, I was really convinced of that. And I think to some degree that is true because as it turns out, research, and I'm going to get a little more into this later when I talk about John Cleese, but academic research has shown that creativity, you know, past, you know, childhood prodigy stage, real creativity in the real world where people are creative for a living, that's more of a learned skill than an inborn talent. But on the other hand, if you're really committed to the idea that you're not creative, if you've got this belief system locked down and you've got blinders on, you may be right. You know, what did, what did Henry Ford say? Um, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. So what is this monster creativity? Okay. Well, monster creativity is the ability to generate consistently good ideas and a lot of them. Uh, it may or may not be the ability to generate ideas on command under pressure. I, I wouldn't make it that tight. That's something I happen to be good at. Uh, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of focus. And um, just between you and me, Nathan, a lot of coffee. <laughs> but um, some, sometimes, you know, and, and certainly, again, what John Cleese found in his research is you don't want to be in a performance mode or in a pressure mode. You want to be in a, a relaxed sort of open kind of mode. We'll get to that later. But it's the ability to generate consistently good ideas. And where does it come from? That's sort of your question, right? In other words, you know, did, did some uh, cartoon angel with a magic wand touch you on the head when you were born and say, okay, you're going to be creative. All right. No, don't let that one be creative. No, <laughs> I, I don't think that's how it worked. Um, maybe, maybe to some degree at first, but not in the long run. Monster creativity comes from research and stored knowledge. Uh, you'll find that the most creative people are readers. They watch TV, they watch movies, they read comic books, they read pornography, they watch cooking shows. They're interested in how asphalt is used on different types of highways in different climates. I mean, they're interested in everything. There's curiosity. And so in doing all of this exploration and research, they store up a lot of knowledge. Second thing, and this is, it's just not knowledge. Then, you know, every librarian would be the world's most, you know, a creative person. It's also experience, experience in trying to come up with creative ideas and then coming up with creative ideas. It's experience in succeeding. It's experience in failing to be a monster creative person, you really need to be okay with failing. I'm not going to say comfortable because for some people it will never be comfortable. It's become comfortable for me. I never expected that to happen. I had to say, oops, oh well, let's try something else. But you need to be able to reflect on what has happened and eventually you need to be able to reflect on ideas and quickly 
sort stuff out, figure out what's good and what's not. That comes from experience. There's just no other way to know how to do that. So you got to start somewhere. But it, the the ability and the skill can grow very quickly if you stay committed and focused on it. And then the third thing, I just sort of mentioned, I'm going to say it a little more explicitly now, you need to be flexible. And this may be the, the people who tell you they don't have a creative bone in their body. You need to release the fear of looking stupid. Yeah, because you're never going to get good at something unless you're willing to mess up a hundred times at it. And if you're not, if you're afraid of looking stupid, you're never going to get to the point where you're willing to mess up. Yeah. And even when you're good at it, you're going to look stupid. Hmm. You're, you're not going to come up with perfect ideas all the time. You'll come up with a lot of ideas. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, A while ago, I was taking a lot of screenwriting conferences and I, Took the conference with the dean of all, Il Capo di Tutti Capi, uh, what's his name, Robert McKee, Bob McKee. And one thing he said that I didn't get at the time, but I really get now. He said, the best screenwriters, when they're writing a movie, they will write each scene 10 different ways. I thought, what a, what a waste. Why don't they just get it right? No, no not, not with creative stuff. It doesn't work that way. You got to try a lot of stuff out. So you're coming up with something new. You might know it after it's written down, but you can't always know it in your head. And if you've got 10 times 10 times 10, you've got 120 scenes in a movie or maybe 60 or 80 scenes, and you have 10 of each one, there are millions of different combinations. So You're going to have to feel your way through that. You can't do that all in your head. It has to be on paper. Now, let's get back to John Cleese. You know, most people know of John Cleese as a member of Monty Python, a very funny guy. And he's he's still around. He's in his 70s. He's going around giving talks and expressing his political opinions and a very healthy, robust guy. He gave a talk to, I think it was, a scan, maybe a Norse or a Swedish Scandinavian telecommunications company in English in London. It was it was like a a webinar, and it was about creativity. And one thing he said that I thought was so interesting was that when he was in Monty Python, there was another member. I don't remember who, uh, but you know, uh, he said who it was, and he said this guy actually was much more talented than John Cleese. He said he was much more talented, but because he was talented, he had this sort of smugness about him. He would write a scene and then he'd say, okay, there it is. It's great. And it might be okay. Cleese would write four or five scenes. So I'm starting to see a theme here, like with what Robert McKee said and what, what Cleese is actually talking about from his own experience. And Cleese would come up with better stuff. And the reason was that it's, you know, it's a repetitive process. It's an iterative process. Monster creativity means you don't just come up with one idea and say, oh, I'm a creative person. That's a great idea. We're done. Richard Armstrong, a friend of mine, A-list copywriter, and I think a listener to this podcast, uh, Richard said when I interviewed him, a few years ago for a fast, effective copy. 
He said that the secret that the A-listers, and he is one, um, the really successful copywriters writing in the most competitive mass markets, like mainly newsletters, Boardroom and Agora and KCI and places like that, their, their secret is they will come up with one hook, one big idea, one good theme, and they'll keep going. They won't stop. They'll write it down. They'll keep researching. They'll keep thinking. They'll keep ideating. This can go on for months. So this is, this is an important thing. And this is something I resisted for a long time. Now that I've become what I would say is more creative, I'm doing this a lot more myself. Now there's another piece to this and that is, well, how do I start this? There's a guy named Anders Ericsson, and he's a professor at Florida State University. And he came up with what has become popularly known as the 10,000 hours rule, which is not actually 10,000 hours for every single skill, but the 10,000 hour rule is what Malcolm Gladwell called it. And, and it says that to become a master of some skill, you need to put in your 10,000 hours. Okay. There's an important understanding behind that. And the understanding is what he calls mental representations. Now, let me give you a, a really dumb example of this. And then, then we can take it up a few notches to creativity. So you put on your shoes. Nathan, do you know how to tie your shoe? Uh, I'm learning. Oh, okay. I, I need, maybe I should find another example. Now, you know how to tie your shoe. You've been doing it since you were three or four or five or six or something, right? You don't have to think about it a whole lot. You just do it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, is this a sore spot with you? I'm sorry. I didn't realize <laughs> it was. No. Um, so the reason that you can do it without thinking, okay, well, I have to, first I have to tie the knot around my instep and then I have to make a bow. The reason you just do it is you have a picture or a movie in your mind or something in your mind and that whatever that something is, it's software, it's directions, it's action steps, it's a little, little, little course. And Anders Ericsson calls that a mental representation. So. It's fair to say you have a mental representation of how to tie your shoe. And yeah, maybe sometimes you might consciously think about it if you want to do it a little differently or if it keeps getting untied. But for the most part, it's a pretty automatic thing. Now, with creativity, with monster creativity, with creativity in general, with being with doing the act of creating an idea, when you've done it a number of times when you succeeded sometimes and you've acknowledged the success, when you failed sometimes and acknowledged the failure and dealt with the feelings of disappointment, gotten over it. And you've done that enough times, you'll have enough data to create a mental representation of what coming up with a successful creative idea looks like. And that's a big part of it. I, I guess I've been doing this longer than I was willing to admit when I said I wasn't a creative person. Uh, my mind just works that way. I, I look for, some people call it a dirty mind. You know, you look for combinations of things that aren't even there, right? Um, when it's sexual partners that aren't actually involved, that's called having a dirty mind. When it's two ideas that could fit together really well, but haven't fit together before, 
That's called creativity. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. So you develop these mental representations by what I'd call smart repetition, which is what I talked about before, failing, succeeding, reflecting, you know, learning what's good, what's bad. And here's the other thing. This, this, is, this is something I just kind of realized this year, and it's maybe a little striking, especially for someone who's good at school or who's a little obsessive or is a perfectionist, that kind of personality. And that's usually the kind of personality of a, one of the kinds of personalities of very successful people, by the way. Per- perfection is not what you're going for. You're going for resilience. You're going for bouncing back. Bouncing back after you've come up with one idea, whether it's good or not, you bounce back to come up with another one. And actually, the resilience and the smart repetition leads to perfection. That's the way you get the perfect ideas, is by trying, failing, refining, adjusting, observing, refining, abandoning, starting again. All of that stuff, all of those things in the cycle will eventually lead to a perfect idea. Um, Two examples, whether you like it or not, I think you could say from a business point of view, an iPhone is a perfect idea. Um, and the example I always like to use my eye coffee, which was not made by Apple. And it's just so cool. It puts on a show for you while it makes coffee and it's very efficient and it tastes really good and it reduces the acid and it, it increases the crema. Um, they did over a thousand prototypes of that according to their PR and probably true before they came up with it. So yeah, you know, Nathan, I think with all due respect, before you were born, in the 1960s, BIC came out with its first BIC pen. And I think before the BIC pen, perhaps ballpoint pens were not very reliable. And so their advertising slogan was, writes first time every time. And the problem with that is people have generalized it to thinking they have to be right the first time and right every time. And Uh, you know, when you're a guru, when you're an expert, when you're an attorney, when you're a professor, that may be true. When you're in creative mode, that is definitely not true. So to take this from, we're kind of like in the micro, uh, level of, of creativity. I kind of want to zoom out just a a moment and take it to the macro level of of writing copy in general. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, I've been writing, uh, I, I dabbled in copy 
for about 10 years now, and I've been um, professionally doing it for my own companies and for other companies for about five years, a little bit less than five years now. I know that when I first started, it was tedious. It was, um, I had to have checklists. I had to make sure I had a hook, make sure I had a story, make sure I was problem agitating, solutioning. Uh, I had to go through and make sure, um, do, am I able to get the reader on my side at the beginning of the message? Am I able to, um, value stack at the end of the message? Am I able to, uh, present a compelling offer? And it, 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 uh, Back in the day, just like tying my shoes, I had to grab the left one, then grab the right one, then make the loop, and then go around the loop, and then go through the loop, and I had to consciously think about it. Um, nowadays, though, when I start writing, I, I kind of have all that in the background of my mind, leading my writing without even really consciously thinking about it, and then I go back and I make sure that those elements are there, but they're almost always, in some sort of fashion or another, they're almost always there just subconsciously. Just like you're saying with creativity, the more you do it, the more natural it comes. It's not like uh, I was a natural born copywriter, but going through and, and going through the steps over and over and over again, now the connections just happen subconsciously, but it's only because there's those close to a thousand or 10,000 hours worth of work that makes the connections happen more spontaneously. Right. Um, or, you know, in, in the terms of Anders Ericsson, who's the world's leading expert on peak performance, you have developed mental representations of how to write copy. So, you know, now I understand you're still working on that with tying your shoe, but that's OK. <laughs> the, the writing copy is what makes you money unless you're a pro basketball player. I don't, I don't think you are. OK, so, yeah, that, that's really good. Now, there's one other piece to this, too, and that's where math, mathematics fits in. So here's a question. How many combinations of six elements can you make where you're using all six of them? And the answer to that question comes from a branch of mathematics called combinatorics. And it's used in algebra. This method, this answer is used in calculus. It's used in mathematical analysis. It's a really simple thing. It's called factorial. And that could sound intimidating, so let me break it down. We got six, number six. We want to find six factorial. Six factorial is six times five times four times three times two times one. That's six factorial, and that's 720. 720 different combinations. Now, if you're trying to come up with a hook and offer, uh, a lead, a subhead, a benefit, and maybe you've got six different pieces that are going in, you've got at least 720 possible combinations. You don't need all 720. You only need five or 10 good combinations for monster creativity. Okay? So that's important. And then the other thing is the power of negative thinking. Negative thinking. Sometimes you need to do something conceptually similar to what accountants call an acid test. Now, an acid test is very simple. That's when an accountant looks at the money you owe and the money you have right now as a snapshot and say, if all hell broke loose, if everything went to Bitcoin tomorrow and all your stuff's in dollars, how long would you last, right? 
it, it's like a, sort of a worst case scenario way of looking at your finances. Now, with ideas, the question is different, although you don't want to find bankrupt ideas, but the question is different. The, the question is, let's say you've come up with this most, and I see people fail to do this a lot, so this is important for copywriters. Um, okay, carpet cleaning. Let's say you've, you've come up with a way of carpet cleaning that keeps you completely free of the Me Too movement, okay? Mm. Um, you have to ask this question, in what situations would this claim not be true? If you can find four or five situations where, I don't know, maybe your carpet cleaning machines you know, are like patent leather shoes and they look up women's skirts or something, not good, right? So you, you're going to have to find another claim to make. A lot of people don't do this. A lot of people come up with a claim, which is true in one or two situations, and then they stop thinking there. And they don't realize that what they're saying isn't true in a lot of other situations. And it's a very weak claim because your customer will always try and tear it apart. Maybe not consciously like I'm doing now, but at some level. And that's going to reduce your sales. The acid test simply shows... How, how could this business collapse under the worst circumstances? Mm-hmm. And uh, the acid test for ideas is, if you're making a claim, where is the claim not true? Are there enough circumstances where it's not true so it's not going to really work for your idea? Mm. And, and the reason why is because if you're only thinking about one or two examples, uh, the, the customer, like you said, is looking for... Um, might be looking at six other ones that you just failed to cover. Could be also could be one of our friends at the government who's overlooking Mm -hmm. our copy, the FTC or the SEC or the FDA. They might also be thinking about what you're saying the same way. Mm -hmm. And that could get you in just a world of trouble. I didn't even think about that. Thank you. Well, I grew up in the shadow of that stuff in the Washington, D.C. suburbs. Rockville, Maryland, in fact. So, I know. (laughs) Well, that's probably smart. I mean, I had neighbors who worked for the CIA. The the main Watergate burglar lived three blocks away from me. So, that's where I grew up. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yep. James R. McCord. His son was president of the student council at Richard Montgomery High School. I have a very colorful past, Nathan. Did you not know that? <laughs> I did. I just didn't know it went that uh, that deep throat. Well, I, I reveal it, I am, you know, layer by layer. Now, we have a couple of friends in this world living in Germantown, Maryland. I wonder what's, and that's not too far from Rockville. I wonder what's going on there. But we'll probably find that out another time. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> back to monster creativity. <laughs> You think I'd be a good conspiracy theorist? Okay, so here we go. Let's just, I promised my recipes. Um, I said I ate my own cooking. Here are my three recipes. Recipe number one, read widely, talk to people, take notes, learn to mind map, put ideas or segments of ideas down on paper. Okay, that's recipe number one. Number two is let resilience overcome your perfectionism. Developmental models mental representations of what successful practical creativity looks like, what actual good ideas are. Get, get pictures of that in your mind. And number three, respect the mathematical concept of factorials. 
six times five times four times three times two times one. Make more combinations of ideas than you need, then sift through them to find the best ones, and finally, acid test your ideas to find out how strong your finalist ideas actually are, and pick the strongest ones. Nice. All right, David, thank you so much. This has been just a wealth. This is one of those episodes where I'm going to have to go back and listen to it a couple of times as well, because uh, you just laid so much on us. Well, I, I figure everyone in marketing and copywriting wants to be more creative. So if you have to listen to it a couple of times, it's time well invested. Yeah, absolutely. So what do we have coming up next week? We're going to talk about, it's a much more of a copywriting focused topic. We're going to talk about direct versus indirect leads. Oh, nice. This is something that uh, almost every copywriter I know struggles with. All right, David, thank you so much. A fantastic episode. Again, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this two or three times. I recommend that you listening right now, you go back and do the same thing. And uh, if you want to get more of your copywriting fix, head on over to thecopywriterspodcast.com and uh, we will catch you next time. Catch you next time. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast.